So this morning is the final message in our series, Dear God. And if this is your first time tuning in, that's okay. Dear God has been a message about questions that we find ourselves asking. And it's funny, I had a whole message written, and on Tuesday I changed it. (laughs) And it just, something wasn't settling. Do you know how that feels? It's like something doesn't settle with you. So the title of today's message is, Dear God, What is Going On? And we're going to talk today a lot about who God is and what his plan is. Because if you turn on the news or you talk to a friend or, you know, you're on social media for even a millisecond, you would know that things can feel chaotic, turbulent, intense, too much at times. This is the world we live in. But, you know, when we, we forget that we are in this fragment of time right now, but the world is ancient. And for generation, generations and generations, we have not been able to be aware of every trauma and every natural disaster and every injustice all over the globe at once. Our human souls are actually not made to hold that. And it often feels like it's too much because it is. But you know what? It's not too much for God. It's not. And today I want to talk about who is God and what is his plan. Because when we lose sight of where we are in God's story and the fact that God is the beginning and the end, we can often feel like it is too much. God, you're asleep on the job. God, it's okay. So we may be going over some things that you already know today, but I want to invite you uh, to just be open to the possibility that there may be things that you need reminders of. There's a lot of scriptures, so if you're at home or in the room, you can take some notes. I really think there's stuff to meditate on throughout the week. So we're going to start in God's story. If God's story, if our story was a book, there would be four chapters. And the first chapter, I think we have a graphic. Oh, wonderful. Guys, I made a graphic, and Josh Jansen, Pastor Josh, was like, we cannot use that, Carrie. (laughs) So Chloe came through. Thank you, Chloe. (laughs) So the first chapter in God's story is creation, the garden. Listen to this. This is Genesis 1, verses 22, or 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image. Total side note, us. Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's amazing. According to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the cattle and over all the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. God loves his creation. We are made in God's image. You are an image bearer. This is such an important place for us to start because if we think that we were a burden, if we think that we were a project, if we think that, oh, God doesn't really care, we're not starting in the right place. The reality is that God loved us so much. We are his image bearers. In the garden, in creation, there was obedience because there was perfect trust. There was communion. We communed with God in the garden. And then we come to the second chapter, which is the fall. 
And here we see, uh, I'll just read it. And, well, actually, no, I'm going to wait. Here we see the enemy comes in, the accuser of the brethren, the father of lies. And, you know, the thing about the enemy is he really doesn't have any new strategies. So what he whispered in the very beginning was, did God really say? And when you think about it, that is often the voice that we hear. Did God really say You know, God's instructions was you can have anything in the garden, just don't eat from the tree of knowledge. But did God really say? Is God holding out on us? Perhaps they wondered. Is there something better that God doesn't want for us? So Adam and Eve ate from the forbidden fruit. And in Genesis 3, verse 8, we read that, And then they, Adam and Eve, heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam, and can you imagine that? With them, communing together. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God amongst the trees of the garden. And in this imagery, I love this imagery, because often we think that God's the one who removed himself, the scripture, Adam and his wife hid. Did God really say? I think this represents shame. With sin, often shame sets in because we know something within Adam and Eve knew they hid. And we see separation and hiding. Second chapter, the fall. The third chapter is redemption. And this is where we see atonement and Jesus. We are brought into right standing because of the grace available to us only through Jesus Christ. Because, you know, after the fall, we just kept disobeying. And it took, it took total obedience. And none of us are capable of that because we're all humans. And I want us to read together a very long scripture. So I'm sorry in advance, but I'm also not sorry because it's incredible. And I think if we don't have a full understanding of the redemption that we personally have because of Jesus, we will not understand the rest of the story. And we also will not walk in the full authority that's been given to us. So I want to invite you today to read Isaiah 53. Take a deep breath maybe. If you got to get out some jitters, that's fine. Let's read together verse 4. Surely he took our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. We are all like sheep that have gone astray. Each one has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before the shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. He was assigned a grave to the wicked, and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. 
And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will not allot him a portion I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he has poured out his life unto death, and he has numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. This scripture is so powerful. Think about that, Jesus being led like a lamb to the slaughter, and yet he did not open his mouth. Sometimes we forget that Jesus chose to submit his will to the Father. He wasn't like a robot for God. He was both human and he was the divine. He submitted his will. And do you know why? Because he loves us. Because he knew that the only way to overcome shame and sin was to have a sinless offering, which none of us are capable of. So Jesus chose to submit his will. He chose, scripture tells us, he descended into the pit of hell. He bore the weight of the sin of the world. He took on our pain and our affliction and he rose again so that we can be set free. This is amazing news. We can never earn it. We can never deserve it. This is simply because of the grace of Jesus. And this is the third chapter that we are in. And it's hard because we're in the already and we're also in the not yet. Because there is a fourth chapter. And Jesus will come back to complete his work through the restoration of the worlds. There's a fourth chapter. And this chapter is restoration. And in restoration, we see God going back to the first chapter to restore what he had originally intended for all of humanity. This is where we read in Revelation about a new heaven and a new earth, new Jerusalem, because God loves us. In Revelation 21, verse 5, It says, he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And I think sometimes we get frustrated because we see what's in front of us. And we forget about the fourth chapter. But this is the fullness of God's redemptive story. Over your marriage, these words are trustworthy and true. Over your physical body, these words are trustworthy and true. Over every challenge, over every addiction, these words are trustworthy and true. Our present is not the end. There is a fourth chapter. And sometimes I think what we do is we forget or we truncate God's four chapters into two, fall and redemption. And we begin to forget what we were created for. We forget what's about to happen. And this anxiety and this despair sets in. So starting here at the foundation of God's four chapters in our story, 
we're going to talk more about how do we respond? How do we live? How does this truth apply to our lives? Where do we find ourselves in God's story? And what does this mean for us? Because often we find ourselves reacting to situations. But God has given us everything we need to respond. Any parent in here knows the difference between reacting and responding. (laughs) You know when your buttons get pushed and you just react out of a hurt place. It's an insecure place. But God has given us all authority. And we have confidence because of who he is. So what, how do we respond? What does it look like? The first thing I think of how we respond is with humility. Ouch. <laughs> humility is hard. Because I don't know about you, but I am actually a closet control freak. My Josh knows this. Although my friend Josh Danson probably knows this too. We've been working together long enough. <laughs> I am a total type A, and I'm also a deep feeler. So when I see things going on, when I see pain and injustice, and it feels like too much, I begin to take on God's job. I begin to take situations into my own hands. I stop praying. I stop listening to what the Holy Spirit may be directing me to do, and I get it done. And I take great pride in that. It's sin. I don't want to confess that. But in my confession is also my liberation. Because I know that when I confess that and I lay it down, I'm reminded that God is not asleep on the job. He has a plan. And he has a plan for you and he has a plan for me. We cannot hold on to every hurt. We cannot try to fix every problem because you know what will happen? You'll become paralyzed to fix the problems that God has put before you because it all just feels like too much. The other thing that I do when I forget my part, and I try to take on God's part, when I forget about the humility that I'm called to walk in is I can become an accidental Pharisee which, side note, is a great book if you're looking for a resource. We have to remember that Pharisees are people that ultimately become the judge. We take the place of the righteous judge instead of God. And this is really difficult, and it happens slowly over time. But ultimately, when we don't allow God to be the judge, which God is the judge. The fourth chapter involves judgment. But God doesn't need our help. He's got it under control. We cannot take his place. And what's incredible when you think about the early Christians, uh, they weren't called Christians. That term wasn't a thing. They were referred to as people of the way. And, And that really struck me because who they were, their very being, spoke so loudly They weren't looking for a title. They weren't looking for a hierarchical thing to be above other people. They were called people of the way. And for Pharisees, they actually, Pharisees were not bad people. They they wanted truth. They were actually trying to get rid of heresy. But their pursuit for truth took over 
how they treated each other. And they began murdering and persecuting people. Which, what is one of the commandments? Thou shall not kill. And we have to be careful of this. And I think especially when there's so much chaos going on in our world, when there's so much division, when there's so much, we can easily take the place of, of God's job. We're actually called to embody the good news of Jesus Christ. One of my favorite books is Let Your Life Speak. What, what is your life saying? What is my life saying? Do people see the good news, the resurrection life of Jesus Christ in my life today? Which leads us to our second response, which is confidence. Because of what Jesus has done, as we live in this place and space in the third chapter, we can respond with confidence and with hope. God is not anxious God is not unaware, and God is not apathetic to everything going on in our world. He has a plan, and he is faithful to fulfill it. And God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of love, one of power, and one of sound mind. When we know where we are in God's plan, we know what he did in the past, we know what he's doing in the present, and we know what he's doing in the future. We have not been given a spirit of fear. God is totally capable. And I have to remind myself of this because I can project my anxiety onto God. And God is not anxious. He's not fearful. And as I was preparing for today, I was reminded that no one, nobody can take your hope and they can't take my hope. They can't. You cannot steal my confidence. You can try but I can give it away. And we have to take radical responsibility for our peace. We have to take radical responsibility for our hope. Nobody has the power to take that from you. And when people try, you have to remind yourself, God has not given me a spirit of fear, but one of love, one of power, and one of sound mind. He's the alpha, he's the omega, he's the lion and the lamb. He's written all of our days in the Lamb's book of life. He knows every chapter. So you can try to take this from me, but you can't. And that's important to know because in our world, our world wants to convince us that things can be taken from us. This cannot, but you can give it away. You know, John 10, verse 17 through 18, Jesus is talking about his authority Jesus here is talking about what happened at the cross. Listen to this. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. That is power. And that power lives in you, and that power lives in me. We are a people of authority. And you know what? When Jesus went to the cross, the enemy thought that he had won because he took on weakness, and he, the enemy thought he was winning the whole thing. 
But God does not work through the lens of man. Through Jesus dying, he overcame the grave. He overcame the power of death. We have that. And if we don't get this revelation, we will constantly be victim to things going on outside of us. None of it is greater than God. None of it. This is such a powerful revelation. And we have to remind ourselves of it over and over again. Because if not, we will partner with despair. And the world does not need more despair. We do not need more doomsday prophets on social media. We just don't because we're partnering with that despairing spirit and we are called to share and embody the good news. And remember, we are not people's judge. That's God's job. So when we live and we display the good news of Jesus Christ, everybody else has their own choice of how to respond to it. We can't control that. You know what we can do? Pray. And we have to also take responsibility of our prayer life. Because when we take the humble posture of someone who is willing to get up early or stay up late and get on our knees and contend for the things that are disturbing our souls, you know what we're doing? We're saying, Lord, I am going to take the humble posture of a servant and I'm going to surrender this right back into your hands. I'm going to lay it at your feet. We have to remember that humility and prayer go hand in hand. It's in the place of laying it down that we also pick it up back again. But not the anxiety. We pick up our hope. We pick up our confidence because the Holy Spirit lives in you and something changes when we pray. And it may not be, you, you may not realize it in the moment, but over time, God is shaping you. We are the clay and he is the potter. And we are reminded that in my, the strongest thing sometimes we can do is surrender. And we contend and we petition in the place of prayer. Listen to these words from Paul. If you don't know who Paul is, uh, Paul was a Pharisee. He genuinely believed that Jesus was a heretic. And he was on a mission to uphold the truth, but he had a radical encounter with Jesus. And his eyes were opened. And he realized who Jesus was and what he had been doing. And he committed the rest of his life to building the church. And, and by building the church, I do not mean a building. I mean building the church, people, humanity, because we were promised abundant life if our eyes are open and we follow him. So listen to this. Uh, Paul's writing a letter to the church in 2 Corinthians. This is uh, chapter 1, verse 8. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from every deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have sat our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by our prayers. Wow! And just as Victoria prayed, God has not promised us ease, but he has promised us a fulfilled, abundant 
life. In the midst of everything that's going on. We live and we work in the third chapter of redemption while looking forward to the fourth chapter of restoration. And this is why what we do in the present matters so much. Because it's not that we just, you know, kick back, put up our feet and say, okay, God, you've got this. I'm just surrendering everything. That's not it either. That's apathy. God, in the third chapter of redemption, extends an invitation to us to partner with him, to co-labor with him. And what this looks like is often what is already in your hands. So I want to ask you, what is in your hands? When we look at uh, people that we read about in scripture, uh, these amazing faith heroes, let's go back to Paul for a second. You know what was in Paul's hands? his testimony of grace. He murdered Christ followers. Can you imagine how he must have been feeling after he realized who Jesus was and who all these innocent souls were that he helped take their lives? It would have been very easy for him to allow shame to direct his story. But he chose to not partner with despair. He chose to trust the Lord and to embody the good news, his testimony. And each of us in here have a testimony. You know, I did not grow up in church. And if I would have allowed my past experiences to convince me that I was disqualified, I wouldn't be living a full life. And it is not about me preaching right now. It's about the freedoms that we don't see in each other's life. It's about the freedom that I have fought for in my life that you will never see. And you have the same availability because of who we are in Christ Jesus. The testimony in my hands is my story. The testimony in your hands is your story. You know, Paul was also so educated, a trained scholar and a lawyer. He was a communicator. And he has written letters to all of the churches during his time. Those are the epistles that we read about today. We look at people like Moses. You know, Moses had an identity crisis. Moses had a stutter. In fact, Moses told God, "Uh, I'm not the man for the job here. But you know what? God knew that Moses was the only one who could walk into Pharaoh's courts who could identify with the plight of the Israelites, who could stand in both places at once. And it was Moses' humility to trust in the Lord that allowed him to go further at all. What is in your hands? I think often we hold contempt for what is in our hands, not realizing that that's the very ministry God has given you. Are you a parent? That's your ministry. When you go into work every day, you have coworkers, you have people that you interact with. That's a part of your ministry. We are all on assignment. And it's not a burden. It's an invitation to live abundantly in truth. The cross is not meant to crush you. It's meant to liberate you. And this is how the world sees resurrection life. 
lived out in today because we embody our salvation in ordinary and very extraordinary ways. And if we allow the lie that we are insufficient, that God does not, (laughs) that God's asleep, that God's anxious, that God's insecure, we will take things into our own hands. We will become other people's judge. We will live out of a place of anxiety and despair. But we know the story. We know all four chapters. We know who we are in Christ. We can live in a place of humility and prayer where we petition. You know, Jesus, in that scripture we read in Isaiah 53, he petitions for you and for me. He intercedes on our behalf. So who are we to think that we're not called to intercede for others? The place of prayer is our power. Don't give it away. Don't give it away. There is a fourth chapter. I want to just create some space now to maybe pray together. Like I said, this message, I feel like, happened to me. Uh, I was deeply challenged and am still deeply challenged. And I pray deeply that you don't just let this pass you by, but maybe you would look at these scriptures again, that you would maybe watch the service again so that you can ask the Holy Spirit, what does this mean for you? Would you join me as we pray? Lord, we confess of just our human weakness, which you're not surprised at. You're not angry at either. Lord, we confess of the times where we try to take control instead of seeking you first, or the times where we just, we know you're asking us to be a part of a solution, but we allow fear or anger or anxiety to keep us from stepping into those moments. God, we lay down our anxieties at your feet. And we pick up everything that is available to us. We lay down our insecurities and our pride and we pick up confidence and humility. We choose to take off a victim mentality and to clothe ourselves with the spirit of adoption. We choose to take off a scarcity mentality and to see with eyes of abundance because you are on the move. You are the God that overcame death and you, just as Rachel prayed, breathe life into dry bones. So Father, today we surrender the work of our hands and whatever's before us today, just for this day, we commit our work of stewardship of your creation and what you have given to us to hold. May every conversation and every person, every place we go have the fragrance of Christ because we are embodying the good news of Jesus. Thank you that it can never be taken from us. We pray all of these things in your name. Amen.